invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. That is our lone text this morning. We mentioned this morning also in our Sunday school hour that the entirety of God's word is truth. It is truth. Francis Schaeffer would call it true truth. Not truth as the world thinks, well, you have your truth and I have my truth, but this is absolute bedrock, foundational, fundamental truth. So important is God's word as truth that Jesus Christ himself said the words that are painted on the wall over there, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them, cleanse them, build them up, encourage, exhort, bring them to more and more Christ-likeness. So as we look to God's word this morning, our prayer is that our ears would be attentive, that we would hear through the lens of Scripture, that we would hear in the strength of the Holy Spirit, and that God would be glorified. Let's pray together. Father, what a joy to abide with you. What a joy to hear your word. Not our word, not man's word, but your word. In your word, we hear your voice. In your word, we see you. In your word, we find strength and nourishment and sustenance for life on this earth. Father, together we submit our hearts to you now. And if there be any sin that entangles us, if there be any encumbrance to us this morning in hearing the word, do your work even now by the power of the Holy Spirit that we might confess it before you in the quiet of our hearts, that we might receive the cleansing that you promised by the blood of Jesus Christ and that you might be glorified in that. Bless our time in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The year was 1863, about this time of year, a little few, few weeks earlier. Fall had settled upon, upon the embattled country. A few months prior to that, the horrifying battles of Gettysburg and Chickamauga had taken place in the Civil War. And at the urging of a magazine editor, a Sarah Josepha Hale, Abraham Lincoln declared a day of national thanksgiving that would be celebrated on the final Thursday of that year. Lincoln's proclamation began, The year that is drawing toward its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come, others have been added, which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate or soften even the heart which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. So here's the president during the war saying, your blessings upon us have been so evident that even the thickest skull can't miss them. Okay. 
translating his English. I, mean, I wish. Yeah. At this point, he goes on, and he lists the. He goes on to list the details of those blessings within the proclamation, and then he concludes with this. He says, "No human counsel has devised, nor has any mortal hand worked out these great things. They haven't happened because of us. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins." has nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly and reverently and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. That the American people should gather with one voice to recognize these blessings upon God and his mercies to us, even as he punishes us for our sin. He finishes the proclamation, he says, I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And I recommend to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to him, giving him the worth that is due, for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged." So he says, even even with our sin, even as we confess our sin, still we pray for those who are suffering because of the war, those who have become widows from it. And fervently implore, beg, the interposition of the Almighty Hand that God would intervene to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with his divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, and tranquility in the Union. Now, I, I told you we were going to look at the Word of God, and that's the speech of a man. Um, it's a political speech you would scarcely hear today. And you would scarcely hear such reverent words come from many pulpits in our country, sadly. Today, in 2018, now, we are entering into perhaps the most avaricious time of the year, where things cloud our mind and fill our hopes, we forget the need for thanksgiving in every believer. It is fundamental. It should be the breath of every saint. It should drip from the mouth of his people. It is supposed to. In the back of your bulletin, you're going to see four questions that we will weigh into today with regard to our thanksgiving based upon a single verse, one verse. Philippians, or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. But as with all of God's word, it doesn't stand alone. It is interconnected. I think of the Pevensey children as they go into Professor Kirk's house in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The wardrobe wasn't a wardrobe unto itself, but it was an entry into 
the extraordinary land of Narnia. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 does not stand alone by itself any more than the wardrobe did. It is an entrance into the magnificence of God's word and the thankful people that we should be for him. So as we look at this, the very first, well, let's, let's talk about getting to the verse first. As we approach this verse, again, the context of it is important. Paul is writing to, obviously, the Thessalonians. Thessalonica is a port city up at the north end of the Aegean Sea. So if you think of my hand, let's use my left hand, as the Aegean Sea, Greece is to its west, Turkey is to its east. Up at the very north tip of the Aegean Sea is Thessalonica. Paul is now down in Athens as he writes this to them. He had just left Thessalonica weeks before. There had been a great work of the gospel there. Lives have been changed. Jews and Gentiles coming to faith and redemption in Jesus Christ. He had a great affection for them. But there were some things that had crept in that he had heard even as he had left. And that is they had some confusion about some of the issues that Paul had broached uh, particularly end times and the labor of the saints. And so he's writing to address them. And his letter is pretty much concluded. And so this is his closing paragraph to them. And he is going to hit them with a few essentials for their church and for the individuals in the church. In the first verses, of, excuse me, in chapter 5, verses 12 and uh, through 13, he talks about the respect that the church should show to those who preach and teach who are caring for the church, essentially the shepherds, the elders in the church. Then he talks to them in verse, uh, end of verse 13 and 14 about how they should interrelate amongst themselves, how it is your responsibility to encourage and exhort and admonish one another in your relationships with Jesus Christ. And then he hits some of the shortest verses in scripture and perhaps some of the meatiest. In verse 16, he says, rejoice always. Can I have a whole sermon on that? Next verse, pray without ceasing. Again, you can meditate on that for days. What does it mean to pray without ceasing? And really do we? And then we come to verse 18. And what is it that Paul exhorts the Thessalonians to do. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So the first thing to note there, and we'll we'll break it down very simply, Paul's exhorting them to give thanks. The Greek word is eucharisteo, eucharist. If anybody has a Catholic background to them, eucharist, that's their term for communion, which we're actually going to celebrate here Uh, after the sermon is concluded. We don't look at it as the Eucharist. We do not, as Protestants, see it becoming the body and blood of Jesus Christ in actuality, as the Roman Catholics do, but as representative, as Jesus himself declared, this do in remembrance of me. But what's it mean? It means give thanks. That's what Eucharisteo means. It means to give thanks Um, in in its essence. Appreciation 
And if I go, if I have an appreciation, there has to be an object to it. If I am appreciative, I am appreciative to someone or to something. Because for me to be thankful, something has come to me that I didn't bring to myself. You know, if I go out and mow the lawn, I don't go, oh, Keith, hey, thank you for mowing the lawn. No. I'm just, I'm, I'm thankful that it's done. I'm thankful to God for the strength to do that. But who do I thank for mowing the lawn? I thank me. So I, I wouldn't thank my daughter because she didn't do it. There has to be an object of our thanksgiving. Someone or something. So, I mean, that, that's implied in giving thanks. Um, if there is no object to which I can give thanks, I'm kind of at a loss. And this is, this is really a sad quandary for the atheist and the secularist. They see a beautiful sunrise and they go, wow, it's a beautiful sunrise. And I would contend that it is quite natural for them to go, oh, thank you. To who? To what? The secularist has nothing or no one to offer the thanks to. And I would, I would also argue that if I don't have anyone to give thanks to, that the completion and the satisfaction of thanksgiving never happens. It's, it's empty. It's hollow. Corbin starts cho- choking. He's chewing gum. And he starts choking. And he passes out. And nobody notices it until Corbin slumps over. Well, Caleb recognizes a choking victim. And so Caleb immediately gets up, picks up Corbin, and shoots the gum across the room with a good Heimlich maneuver. But then Caleb beats feet. And let's say we're in, in a movie theater and this happens. And Corbin comes to and he's breathing now. He's alive. Last thing he knew, he was choking and he, he collapsed. And there was this guy who saved his life. Who was it? Nobody knows because he's gone. So for the rest of, of Corbin's life, he is thankful to somebody. He would really, really, really like to shake his hand to show his appreciation for the life he has. To show his appreciation for the man who saw his need and answered that need. That is inherent in the words, give thanks. There is a sweet satisfaction and completion that comes when we do give thanks to the one who has served us. I mean, how do you feel when somebody, you know, you labor hard for the pleasure of your child or the pleasure of your spouse in making a fabulous Thanksgiving meal or some other thing? And they go, this is the greatest thing in the world. This is outstanding. Oh, mom, thank you. I mean, you get, you get great glee in your heart just to hear them go gushing over it because that too is thanksgiving. You know, this is fabulous. And when they recognize it's you and turn to you, oh, thank you. Oh, 
It's my joy. I delight in that. All of this tied up in giving thanks. We, as saints, know what I've already alluded to, that everything we have is by God's hand. There is nothing for which we ought not be thanking God. James 1.17 declares that every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no shadow or turning. We are the creature. He is our creator. We are because he is. We are because he has created us. Colossians tells us that we are because he sustains us. The very reason our atoms hold together is God's power. Not molecular bonding. Okay? Okay, yeah, that that happens, all that. That's true. But it is God's sovereign power that holds all these things together. We are because he provides for us. What thanksgiving does is it properly orients us, the creature, to the creator. It gives him the, the worth that he is due. The men are going through a study of John Piper's book, Desiring God, a really profound chapter this week on prayer. And in it, Piper highlights that God loves to serve us. God loves to serve us. After the meal was ended, Jesus disrobed and washed the feet of his disciples. In the age to come, he will seat us around a table and he will serve us. He is preparing a place for us. What did you do? Not much. You provided the rebellion. Everything else he provided is the grace. And he loves to serve us. And as we thank him for that, we understand that and we let him. Because we can't. We are unable and we are incompetent in ourselves. No place is this more evident than in our own salvation. I got nothing. I can't even say my hands are empty. My hands are full of filth and blood and rot and decay and crimes against the living God. That's all I got. And he takes that upon himself and gives me his cleanliness. He takes all of my muck and mire and gives me his righteousness. So, give thanks. It's the first thing to note. It puts us in a proper position amongst the living God, and it's a joy 
in His heart to hear it. And it should be a joy in our heart to offer it up. So that's what we're supposed to do. When are we supposed to do it? In all circumstances. This is one where the Christian legalist is going to start going, where's the loophole? There's, there's, got, there's got to be something else. Well, you know, maybe it's one of those subset alls. It's just all of this subset of things that we're supposed to mean and not really the big universal all. No, there, it's, Paul's not talking about a subset of circumstances. He's talking about all circumstances. That's what he says. Give thanks in all circumstances. Which ones? Good ones. Give thanks in good circumstances. When it doesn't rain here for years, okay, months, and our reservoirs go to almost nothing, and then it rains, and in two weeks, God fills the reservoirs. Give thanks. Give thanks that our reservoirs are still full. Give thanks for the food that you ate this morning or last Thursday or that's still in your fridge from last Thursday. Give thanks for the refrigerator to hold the leftovers. Give thanks for your work, for the job that you have, for the school that you attend. Give thanks. Give thanks for the family that sits by you and the friends who sit by you. Give thanks for his church that he has assembled. Give thanks for the good. Give thanks in the bad. That's part of all. All includes bad. When you don't get your promotion. When you get a ticket on the way to work. When you can't do X, Y, or Z because you have limited funds. When you are sick. When you total your car due to your own buffoonery. That's part of all. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Earth catastrophes. We don't have earthquakes here, praise God. We do have tornadoes, haven't seen one in a while. Fire, California. Unimaginable, can't even imagine it. Hurricanes that wipe Air Force bases completely off of the map. Can't imagine it. Can't imagine it. Haven't been through it. But not only are there catastrophes in the earth, ugly catastrophes, there are human atrocities where people walk into post offices and schools, restaurants, dance venues, fly airplanes into buildings, Ugly, human, against human. And then we see the ugliness of a fallen world as our bodies start sprouting things that will kill us. You know, aneurysms that you don't even know are there until it goes and you go. Cancers, cancer of the nose. You go, I've never heard of such a thing. And we prayed, prayed for a woman who has dealt with that here recently, cancer of the appendix. 
I've never heard of such a thing. In, in taking over the entire abdomen. We prayed for such a woman, not in this church, but who associated with friends in our church. Cancer of the tongue. Man, how's that going to affect your life? If you lose your tongue. Ugly. Notice the wording. It doesn't say, give thanks for all circumstances. It says, give thanks in all circumstances. There is ugliness in this world. There is. But Paul said, I have learned to be content in all circumstances. I have learned to be content in all circumstances. Now, else, I won't qualify that. It says, in all circumstances. We understand from Romans chapter 8 that in all things, God works together for good. All things are not good. There are some things that God hates that happen in this world. There is ugliness that will be no more at the end of days. Ah, what a day that will be. That will be fabulous. But we understand that in all things, God works together for good to those who love him and to the ones who are called according to his good purpose. Romans 8, 28. In all things, God works together for good in all things. God doesn't check out. God is sovereign over hurricanes and tornadoes. He is sovereign over Satan. Satan has no action of his own that he can do apart from the permission and will of the living God. And God is going to use even that which is intended for evil and destruction for good. And we then, knowing this, can Give thanks in all circumstances. Because we know that there is one who is over them. I can't see it. There was a time uh, way back when my second son had surgery. He was not even a year old. Not even a year old. Wasn't even a year old. Weird situation. But he had to have a femoral line put in. And they put my not-quite-one-year-old into a papoose, which straps him down. Tracy wasn't in there. I went in to be with him. I sat by his head. And I don't, I don't think they even gave him a local anesthetic. They might have, but it didn't do any good. And my son wailed like nobody's business. And I'm, I'm standing over him, and he is bawling his eyes out, looking at me like, why? Why? And I'm bawling my eyes out, just holding the side of his face, going, I'm here, man. And it's for good. It's for good. This is for good. I don't understand. I don't know why. Because I'm not sovereign over this, but I'm here. God has promised to be with us through the fires, 
through the trials. And unlike me, who goes, I don't know what he's doing and what good it's going to do, God does know. And he has promised to never leave us or forsake us. So Paul exhorts the Thessalonians to give thanks in all circumstances. But still we go, ow! Okay, okay, I know he's sovereign, but Paul doesn't end there. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. And he gives the, how do I give thanks? For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. It's God's will for us. This is God's will for us. In the circumstance that I am in, I can have peace. God hasn't checked out. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 38 and 39, cling on to that. Hang on to that tenaciously. Nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our Father, Jesus told the crowd, knows how to give good gifts to his children. Matthew 7, 11. God knows how to give good gifts to his children. If nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, and God knows how to give good gifts to his children, we can know that God knows best. And it's not always going to be cod liver oil. Okay, all of life is not, oh, I'm a Christian, it's all going to be terrible, and, but God's got a plan, and so I'm going to give thanks. No, I mean, it's a beautiful day. Oh, oh, the good food of this week, oh, the sweet fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, the joy of being with you to worship him together. But we also understand that even though there are great pleasures here in this life, the life to come is going to blow us away. We labor, this is training camp. Okay, this is our life right now. The life to come, glory, eternity, with God, with God. The foundation and promise of this is in Christ Jesus. For this is God's will for you. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In Christ. In Christ Jesus. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We have become associated with Christ inextricably in salvation. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in 
Christ Jesus. These are from Romans 6. Paul told the Corinthians, he said, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, what does that mean? Separated to him. If you are a believer, if you are redeemed of God, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. In Christ, you are saved. Your sin has been paid for. You recognize that. You recognize the wretchedness of your life. You are a wretch apart from Christ. You are a rebel. You are a traitor. You have nothing. Your hands were like I described them. And he has imputed to you the righteousness of Christ. You turn You recognize that he has opened your eyes and you reach out and you take that free gift. It is the free gift. Not of work so no one can boast. Just take it. It's yours. You are now in Christ. You are his righteousness. You are clothed with his righteousness. His robes for mine. Paul told the Galatians, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. In Christ, Galatians 3, verse 26. We are his. We are the bride of Christ. We are in Christ. Therein is our hope. He is the author of our salvation. There is no other name by which man... may be saved. He is the one who secures our salvation. John 10, 28. Nothing can snatch you out of his hands. Nothing. Is he going to forget us? Back to Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, with Jesus, why? Because we're associated with him, How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God raises up to his son. We are heirs with Christ. So if these things are true... I can give thanks in all circumstances. Knowing this is God's will for me. It is God's will, A, the circumstance, and B, to give thanks. It's God's will for me to give thanks to him. It properly orients us. But I know that he is working in and through this. So where does that leave us? Where does that put us? You know, as, as these truths, as I live out, a thankful life, a thankful heart is going to root out bitterness. If I am thankful to the living God, I can't be bitter to somebody else. Because if I am bitter about someone else or about the circumstance, I'm surely not thankful to God. A thankful heart is also, secondly, going to quell tame the tremors of anxiety and worry in our lives. So many people are anxious and worried. They're worrisome. That's it. Uh, every, uh, every instance, every possibility is always there. Well, maybe a hurricane could get this far inland. 
you know, we haven't had a hurt, uh, earthquake in Texas in a long time. You know, it's, they're just a, a knot of worry. If God's sovereign over my life, I'm immortal. I am. He knows the day of my demise. Until then, I'm here. Why, why worry? I have nothing to fear. God tells us through Paul to the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 7, that as we pray to him, as we orient ourselves, as we offer up prayers with thanksgiving, Philippians chapter 4, that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That is incompatible with anxiety. Jesus said, my peace I leave you, my peace I give you. My peace, not your peace, my peace I give you. He goes on to say, let your hearts not be troubled, nor be afraid. And he spoke that with finality. The third thing a thankful heart will do is it will deteriorate depression. I'm not saying you're not going to be sorrowful. I'm not going to say you're not going to grieve, because you are, and that's good. But the kind of self-absorbed, situation-dependent agony that comes from life under the sun is going to go away. Yes, you are imperfect, absolutely. And you will be until the day of glorification. Yes, job is going to be difficult. Spousal relationships aren't going to be perfect. Children are going to disobey and parents are going to discipline inappropriately. The future is going to look bleak. But he has adopted you as his sons and daughters. Romans 8.15 You are heirs, as I mentioned before, of the grace of life. 1 Peter 3.7 Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. There's no place for depression there. When we are rightly oriented with God, in, as our relationship with Him grows, He will drive that out. My joy, it'll be gone in five minutes. Something's going to happen and boom, it's gone. But the joy that comes, Jesus' joy, He says, my joy I will give to you will overflow to the lives of others. Fourth, a thankful heart's going to diminish the draw of temptation in our lives. You know, we, we are tempted because we think the baubles of the earth look good. But if I am thankful to God for all He has given me, if I am satisfied with Him and all He has provided for me, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. We read Romans 1, verses 21 to 23. Their thankless hearts were darkened. Their thankless hearts were darkened and they went deeper into depravity. A thankful heart is going to keep you from that. Not, not just the thankfulness. It is the living God and your relationship to Him. A thankful heart also is a peculiarity in our culture and in our day and age. 
And, and not just thankful because someone offered you a parking spot, but a truly thankful, all circumstances, life is going to be a great testimony. Notice, if, if you look at the fruits of the Spirit, thankfulness is nowhere to be found. Where's, you know, gratitude, no, it's not there. It is supposed to be so naturally pervasive in your life as an offering to God, as an orientation of yourself before God. But it is in that relationship, as you cling to him, that you become more and more thankful, as you become more and more aware of all that he has done for you, each one of us. And that's, that's the, the final point, point, is that a thankful heart will enjoy sweet fellowship with the living God. I read Psalm 107 to start. Actually, uh, Psalm 107. The end of it said, He satisfies the longing soul. He satisfies the longing soul. It's not whiskey. It's not women. It's not money. It's not presents. It's not a new game. It's not a new toy. It's not a new CD or song, or whatever, app, game. He satisfies the longing soul. He is the one who gives us good things that point to Him. There. This is the natural breathing of the Christian. As we drive headlong toward Christmas, and the the wonder and majesty of that day, I, I hope that Thanksgiving is not lost on us. You know, I, I would encourage you to think on this idea. A couple of good places to start would be to read in full, which is most of what I read at the start, Lincoln's Thanksgiving proclamation and go, wow. And George Washington's Thanksgiving proclamation. Those are the words of men. But they are proclamations rightly ordered before the living God. And in his word, I encourage you to think on this verse. I encourage you also to go and read the four stanzas of Psalm 107 and the thankfulness of each group of people. And also another verse for you, Ephesians 5.20. We are not what we think ourselves to be before God if we do not manifest the fruit of a thankful heart. It's the truth. Paul told the Colossians, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were a taught. Abounding in thanksgiving. Colossians 2, verses 6 through 7. Let's pray. Father, so often things of this world can get stuck in front of our eyes and we forget to give you thanks. And sometimes we, in the pride and darkness of our own hearts, are thankful for ourselves. God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. I pray and ask that you would help us through the power of the Holy Spirit be people who abound unto thanksgiving. 
Father, if there be any saint in here who is struggling with where they really do stand before you, I pray that today would be the day that they settle that. That they would find the assurance in your word. If they do not know you, if they are really struggling with whether or not they know you, or if salvation is a completely foreign thing, that they would seek out the truth in your word, that they would ask a brother or sister in Christ, what does this mean? And that they would be led to the throne of grace for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.